is told today, but I'm going to start. If that's my mic, I don't know what to do about it. Um, a few stories told today. So in the, in the summer of 2003, which was hard to believe, almost 20 years ago, 19 years ago this August, and um, about nine years after I came to faith in Christ, um, it was a big summer for us. Emma, who is 19, she's around here somewhere. Hi, Emma. Um, she was just born that May. Um, and I was in one of the darkest times of my whole life. Um, through a series of events, I've, I, I've always suffered with back problems ever since high school sports, football injury. Um, but, and, and what would happen in the past was um, my back would go out and I would be flat on my back for maybe a day or two. And then it would get well enough that I could kind of get moving again. And within less than a week, I was kind of back to normal. And, 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 and the, the, the frequency of that was going more and more as I was getting older. Uh, but... but this was a whole different level. So in the, in, in, um, the winter of that year, of, of the beginning of 2003, my back went out, and um, it just didn't go back in. And I was just, and, and yet I still had to function. I still had to, I mean, my wife was very pregnant. We had a four-year-old, a two-year-old already, and I was um, just trying to figure out uh, how to survive. That year, I went to the chiropractor over a hundred times. I just had a deal with him where I paid him 40 bucks and I could go in as often as I want, needed to go in. I was taking somewhere between 8 and 20 Advil a day just to try to function. My wife, um, bless her heart, was often having to help me dress and tie my shoes. Um, after Emma was born in May and, and, and I, she would be crying in her crib and and I would do what I did with all my daughters. I would go in there to let my wife rest. But I would see her in there crying. And I, and I couldn't figure out like how to reach down and pick her up and, and hold her. Um, and, and, and the thing is, guys, like that, that it, it was just inscru excruciating pain. But way more scary was what it did to me emotionally and mentally. It put me in a dark, dark place. So dark, in fact that the, the fairly, the newly opened Loop 101 um, at that point, um, I'd be driving down the road in my truck. I was a real man then. I, wore, I drove a truck. And, and um, I'd be driving down the road, and I would actually say to myself, take off your seatbelt and drive. Drive your truck into the embankment because your family would be better off without you. And I remember getting home one day, and I went up to my, my bed, and I'm, and I'm on the edge of my bed, and I'm just sobbing, like mad at God, mad at the world, not knowing what happened. Um, had, like I said, I'd been a believer about nine years, and, and I didn't feel like there was unconfessed sin in my life. I, didn't, I was like, I don't know what's going on. The rest of my life was going well. I have this beautiful wife and four, or three beautiful daughters, and my career was going good, and, and yet I could barely function. And I... And I not audibly, but I heard him impress upon me, Doug, where you been? So I went down the stairs, and I grabbed my journal, and from the place that I would journal downstairs, and this was in August, it, but the, the, the most recent journal entry was Easter, like early April of that year. And so I sat down, and I opened up my Bible, the, the Psalms, because that's where I go when I'm, when I'm low and I'm down, and Psalm 22 opened up, why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then verse 3 starts with, yet you are holy. And that three-letter word came out of my Bible. I'm telling you, like, I actually remember vividly sitting there with my Bible in my lap and my pillow and my ice behind me, and I remember shoving, like, moving my head aside because I thought the word yet was going to hit me in the forehead. 
Guys, what the Lord was showing me in that time was what C.S. Lewis talked about. C.S. Lewis talks about how um, a quote that he uses, it'll come up again. It says that, um, that he whispers to us in our pleasure, he speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone for waking a sleeping world. And what he was doing was he was getting my attention through pain. Guys, if, if there is something about my life, I stand here today as an equipped pastor, whatever that means, yes, I was, I was able to be a part of a, of a great training program that is, that is very much like the training center we're doing now. Yes, I was blessed to get to go to seminary and graduate from seminary, but guys, the best education I have received in, in my ability to shepherd you guys is, has come in two places, daily meeting with him. And not just, not just reading my Bible, but responding to what he had to say to me in his word. Guys, that, that was 19 years ago on August 3rd. I haven't missed a day since because I never, ever want to go back there. I never want to get back to that dark place. And the other way he has grown me is through pain. Through physical pain, through emotional pain. Because, and guys, many of you have experienced and are experiencing now far worse so we're going to spend some time today talking about this first question. It's, it's all going to be centered around this first talking points question. Does it sometimes seem to you that God's glory and your good are at odds with one another? Because we believe in the, in the goodness of God and we believe in the glory of God and, and, and we believe that he wants our good because the Bible tells us that and we're going to read that today and yet Life is hard. And so sometimes does it seem like they're at odds with each other? So I'm asking you, why might that be true? Like, why might it seem like God's good and our glory are at odds? Okay, one, we're receiving the discipline of the Lord. Good. What else? Which we don't like. Hebrews tells us that. When we're being disciplined, we don't like it. What else? We don't see the full picture. What do we mean by that? Okay. We're not clear on what good is for us. We view it as comfort. So we have a, a very temporal, like right now, like our, our, our time frame is short. What's good now is what's good. And we'll see that in the passage today. What else? I want, like, I want to write my story. I don't want God to write my story. How about just like trusting him? Do we, do we really trust that he really is working all things together for good. And we can only do that if we really know him well. Right? And, and it's in those times, guys, the worst time to figure all this stuff out is when you're in the midst of that storm. Like when you're in the midst of that pain, when you're, when you're in the midst of that heartache, that is not when you want to be figuring this out. You want to figure it out way sooner than that. So today's message, what we're talking about today, is the mystery of our good and God's glory. The mystery of God's good, our good and God's glory. And unlike normally we just stick in a passage and we work through it verse by verse, we're going to actually be in a couple of places in Scripture. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. So open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 8 where we've been for quite a while. We took a little break for some of our summer study, but we've been in Romans for quite a while. And we're going to be um, in Romans chapter 8 in verse 20, starting in verse 28. And then we're going to jump to Job. But the, the thought, that the question that's going to drive our conversation today is this. As a people caught between two kingdoms, and I've belabored that point a lot, and we'll come back to it again, how can we keep a right perspective on our good and God's glory? Because like what Karis was saying, what, um, what Stephanie was saying, that's our, our problem is we have a perspective problem. 
We're struggling in the midst of trying to figure out our good and God's glory. What is the right perspective that we're supposed to have? The goal for the next two weeks is for, for this week and next week, we're going to be in Romans 8, 28 through 31. So um, these four verses we're going to spend a couple weeks on. Next week I will, go, I will dig more into the theology of it. This week I'm going to talk more about the practicality because the theology will mean very little unless you really believe the practical, the, the, or, what's called the orthopraxy, how it actually applies and is lived out in our lives. So that's what we're going to be spending the next couple of weeks looking at. And my hope is that in the end, what you will see, not this, this week and next week, is that we have a God who can be trusted. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of what you think theologically, we have a God who can be trusted. And that's what we're going to look at today. So we're going to talk about how, how do we keep this right perspective. One, we know that a loving God has a long view of our life. That's the first, it was only two points today. And the second is that we need to, that we need to trust that God is going to show us his glory. So, so you look at um, Romans verse, chapter 8, verse 28, and let's look at our first point. So I'm in verse, um, Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Guys, the point that Paul is going to argue here in this passage from, 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 from Romans 8, from 28 to 31 is this. The same God who sovereignly is in control of all things in the world is also sovereignly in control of writing your story. And my story. Like he is in control of all things. So he's saying, we know based on everything we've already read, is what Paul, but what I've already written is what Paul would have said. We know that God works all things together for good for those who love God. Now we see that person for those who love God, and we start going, and we interject ourselves into the story. And we should at some level, because at some level the story is about us. I mean, our salvation matters to God. But why do we love God? Because he first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. Even our love for him is his part of our story. But then if you look at where he says, and this is where we're, where we're really going to camp this week on, in, this, in this verse, our, he works all things together for good. Guys, it was, it was referenced in, in, the, in the first talking points question. How we view that phrase, working all things together for good, is the great differentiator in how you're going to live your life. Based on what John shared during, the, during his gospel moment time, based on some of the stuff that was prayed during the prayer time, I'm sure how you view the phrase, how God's working all things, I don't know what to do, all things together for good um, for those who are called according. It's, it's not on. Okay. Sorry, this, this. Sorry, check. Are you there? Okay. This will be, yeah, this will be interesting. Okay. Um. Okay, so where am I? I don't even. Okay, because it is the great differentiator on whether we're on, on how we're going to view what the purpose of our life is. Is our life's purpose is is the, is the great like God's mission for our life? Is it our current comfort? This is this is the verse where I get the idea that God is not interested in your comfort; He's interested in your conformity to the image of Christ. How do we know that? Well, all we have to do is keep reading. 
So in verse 29, he says, For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, into the image of his Son, conformed into the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. Now I'm going to go into all of that in great detail next week, but that theme of this kind of golden chain of to glory is throughout Scripture. And, and we see it over and over again. We'll see more. We'll, we'll, we'll see it. I'll, I'll go into it a lot more next week. But, but guys, that's easy for us to say when, when things are going well. When, it's easy to say God works all things together for good when things are going well for you and I. But when they're not going well, what are we going to do about that? And, and, and we have to constantly try to remind, or we have to constantly remind ourselves that the same God who keeps, who keeps us, like who saved us, is the same God who keeps us. And his goal for our lives is to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Guys, that's why we're going to spend a little bit of time in the book of Job today, because it's easy to say it when things are going well. But I wanted to give a biblical example, not just my story at the beginning and your story, because we could all share kind of stories of our struggles. But, and if I ask you to raise hand, how many of you have, have, even as a Christian, have been through really serious struggles when we've done that here? Like most of the hands go up. If you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you know that's true. But I want to show you what God's solution to our struggle times is. So turn to the book of Job, Job is to the left of the Psalms in your Bible. So if you open up your Bible to the middle, it's going to fall open to the Psalms, and you're going to, um, and you're going to, turn, and you're going to open up to the book of Job. And we're going to start in Job chapter 1, and, and I'm looking at the clock going, yeah, I don't know how that happened, but, um, but we're going to start in, in looking at So we're in this first point, so, so knowing that God has a long view of your forever life, that's an easy thing for you and I to say. It might even be an easy thing for us to say to other people, when they're struggling, hey, you know, brother, God is sovereign, and he has your long-term good in mind. It's a whole lot harder when you're going through it. And, and Job is such a great example of that. So look at Job chapter 1, verse 6. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, or that word is actually the adversary, also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, so from where have you come? And Satan said, from going to and fro throughout the earth and walking around on it. So right there, there's this tale between two kingdoms, right? He's saying, he's up now talking to God in this kingdom, but where have I come from? I came from walking around on this kingdom. And then it says, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there's none like him on the earth, blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Now, two things. One, Job was not sinless, he was upright of heart. There is nobody sinless outside of Christ. But two, God points him out. So who is sovereign over everything we're about to see happen in Job's life? Is, is it Satan? It's God. It's, it's not Satan. Satan is a tool to God. And I've talked about that before. It's God is the one that points Job out, and, and Job's not going to be a big fan of it eventually. But So then it goes, so, so he says, then, so then I'm going to just, in the interest of time, so then Satan has this conversation with God. He's like, well, the only reason he um, is upright of heart is because you have put this hedge of protection around him. In other words, you have blessed him, like his family is doing well, his business is doing well. If you let me add him, God, he'll curse you to your face. 
That's what Satan says to God. And so God's like, okay, you can, you can have at him. You just can't touch him. You can't touch him physically. So the, very ne- the next part of the chapter talks about, we're not going to read it all, but the next part, um, Satan has his children killed. He takes his business away. Job is left with nothing. We'll pick it up in verse 20 of chapter 1. It says, then, it, then after all that happens, he gets the news that all this has happened. It says, Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said his mind's attention and heart's affection on God is ultimately what that means. And he says this, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And we're like, man, wow, that's amazing. Then there's this whole other scene. So then, so then the whole scene repeats itself again. And Satan shows up in God's throne room again and says, and, says, and, and, Job, and God points Job out again, same way. And Satan's like, well, the only, yeah, but, but that's not a big deal because all I did was take away his stuff. Anybody would be willing to give up everything they have in order to save their lives. You let me affect his life, his pers- like his person, and he'll turn against you. So God's like, okay, you, you can't kill him, but anything else you want to do to him. So what Satan does is he gives him these boils, and, and it, I mean, it just like the, the man is like in serious agony and pain. In fact, he's sitting in the dirt, scraping the pus off of his skin. Right is is what is what's happening to him, and then we'll pick it up in um, in verse ten. Well, verse nine. So then, so then, um, Job's wife comes to him and says, "Are you still holding fast to your integrity? Are you still believing in God? Curse God and die." But Job said to her, "You speak as one fo- as a foolish woman would speak. Shall I receive good from the Lord and not receive evil? Even in all of this." Job did not sin with his lips. Guys, do you, do you under, I mean, do you say, like, we read that and we go, man, that, that is truly amazing. Like, that, that was not me in 2003. It would not be me if all that stuff happened to me now. I'll just be really transparent. Outside of the power and grace of the, of the love of Christ in my life, that's the only way that I would be able to persevere in that. But guys, understand that the message of Job is not. Job suffered and endured anyway, and so should you. That is not the message of Job. The message of Job isn't look at him as an example and stop whining. That is not the message of Job. The message of Job is how do we deal with suffering? Where do we turn? What do we look to? Who do we look to? Because Job does begin to ask some pretty agonizing why questions. Look at verse 16 of chapter 3. We're, gonna, we're going through the whole book of Job here in like, yeah, wow, in five minutes. It says in, in verse 16 of chapter 3, he starts asking, why was I not hidden as a stillborn child? In other words, why, why was I even born? Verse 20, why is light even getting, given to one who is in misery? Now look at verses 24 through, 25, and through 26. For my sighing comes to me instead of my bread, and my groaning, my groanings are poured out like water, for the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes." Guys, intense suffering can take us to a really, really dark place. Intense physical suffering can take us to a really dark emotional and, and even spiritual place. 
I use that quote, C.S. Lewis, he talks about how God whispers us to us in our, in our pleasures and he speaks to us in our conscience and he shouts to us in our pain and it's this megaphone um, for, for raising up a, a, or for waking up a, a deaf world that needs to know about God. But later in C.S. Lewis's life, after his wife suffers and dies a very ba- tra- a bad death, that same man wrote this. Where is God? This seeming silence of God is one of the most disquieting of symptoms. Sometimes the longer you wait outside the house of God, the darker the silence will become. The door seems bolted. There are no lights in the window. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seems so once. The same man that wrote all like these books that we love and the stories about about. Christ, that's him. What happened to C.S. Lewis? He experienced what the Bible calls a cold, dark night of the soul. And he lost sight of God in it. And guys, that here's, here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible is real and raw, and it doesn't tell us to hide that stuff. God could have just kept the story of Job out of his Bible. God is the one who gave us the Bible. The, the fact that Job's story is in here, the fact that many of the Psalms of lament are in here, are God's way of inviting us into that, inviting us into lamenting, inviting us into sharing our junk with him, including our anger with him. And so we're going to see that as we keep going. Look at verse 13, I mean chapter 13, verse 15. Because it feels like Job is staying pretty strong. In chapter 13, verse 15, Job says this, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. But that's in the context of him going, yet I want to argue my case before God. So he's, he's holding on. I'm going to hold on to hope. I'm going to hold on to the reality that he's God and I'm not. But I'm surely going to argue with him. Right? So one, again, that, that, that's in, at some level is giving us um, the opportunity to argue. But now look at chapter 30. Told you we'd be going fast. Chapter 30 of Job in verse 16. I taught through Job a few summers ago, and this was the passage that led me to teaching the book of Job. It wasn't the beginning and the ending of the story. It was right here in the very middle, in the middle of this story. Here's where Job gets. It says, I'm in verse 16 of chapter 30. It says, and now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. The night racks my bones, and the pain that gnaws me takes no rest. With great force my garment is disfigured. It binds me about like a collar in my, of my tunic. God has cast me into the mire, and I have become like the dust and ashes. I cry for help, and you do not answer. I stand, and you only look at me. You have turned cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You have turned cruel to me. This was the man who, in chapters 1 and 2, in spite of all this, was not cursing God, was staying strong in his faith. Guys, pain and struggle can take us to very real, dark places. And we need to acknowledge that. And then we need to praise the Lord that he invites us into this. Not just in the story of Job. I, I already quoted like my, my experience in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my, gro- far from my groaning is, my, is the word of your deliverance for me. I cry by day and I do, you don't answer. 
I cry by night and have no rest, yet you are holy. That was David crying out from a cave. Jesus from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Guys, God is inviting you in to this opportunity to go, I'm going to remind you that it's okay to come to me with this stuff, but but I'm going to show you why you shouldn't stay there. What, what God's solution to our struggles always is. So take a look at your second talking points question. Second talking points question, and we're not going to answer all of these this morning, but I want to talk about the first part. It says, how many of us have been through storms, struggles, trials, times where we didn't think you could go on? Maybe even you started to question God and your faith in him. Maybe even the thought, you have become cruel to me. Why have you forsaken me? Because you're in great company if you've had those thoughts. You're in great company, literally great company. Job, David, Jesus, you're in great company. He says, and then I, and I put there, anyone who's walked with him for a long time would, would say, that's me. Now answer these questions. The, fir- the first one's the only one we're going to talk about here in our interaction. How did you get through those times? So what are some ways that we get through those cold, dark nights of the soul? Pray. Other people. Why is that important? Amen. Guys, I, I, in our, so Jeff will say, like, when they walk arm in arm with you, you realize you're not alone. I know in one of the groups that I was in during our prayer time, that was, I think it was Mark that actually prayed it for our group. But he's like, he's like, the fact that we're all praying for the same thing, like we all have the same need, there's great strength and comfort in that. Right? And then obviously renewing your mind with the word of God. And, and, um, but the fellowship of the saints, like there's all, these are all things that you, but the worst time to know you need those things. The worst time to go, okay, I'm going to develop this habit for being in, in the word of God. Or I'm going to develop a habit of prayer. Or I'm going to commit to being part of God's people and being in fellowship together. The worst time for any of that is when you're in the middle of the storm. Because when you're in that dark place, often you just want to sit and do nothing. Right, it, it's it's isol- it, it just isolates us even more. Now, the rest of those questions, I wanna, I really want to encourage you later to look at, and 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 put some answers down about how did how did they stra- how did the dark nights of the soul strengthen you? How did you learn? What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about God? Because those things will encourage you for when the next time comes, because it will, it just will come. It's part of just this great mystery of God's plan. So now let's look back to Romans, and we're going to come back to Job, so you can keep your finger there, but I want to go back to our second part of the second verse we're going to look at in Romans, which is Romans 8.31. And our last point, that so, so how do we like, keep the right perspective about our good and God's glory? One, that our, we have to remember our loving God has the long view of our forever life. His, his goal is to get us to eternity looking like Jesus. And the way he's going to do that is by showing us his glory over and over and over because Jesus is the one that glorifies God the most. So the more we look like Christ, the more glory we can bring to God. So take a look at um, in Romans 8. Many of you could quote it without even reading it. Most, but um, in Romans 8, 31, it says this. What shall we say about these things? Like this, this whole idea, what, what should we say about all the stuff that goes on in our lives and God's in control of our life and God is sovereignly writing your story? He's saying, so if that's true, if God is for us, who anywhere can be against us? 
And then the rest of the chapter is going to talk about that, and we'll get there, Lord willing, in a few weeks. But, but he's like, guys, this golden chain of redemption runs through runs throughout Scripture to remind us that, if, that, that because God is for you and he is in complete control, you can rest in him. That's the main point that he's trying to make. And, and the study that, that like we're looking at in Job really isn't a story about Job. It's a story about the glory of God. That God's solution to your, to, to my, to your struggles, to your trials, to your pain, his solution is always himself. Every why question we ask, like Job did, why have you forsaken me? Every, one of the, every answer to every why question is, sorry, every answer to every why question is God himself. So take a look at Job, and we're going to go back to the very end of the Job 42, the last chapter in the book of Job. I'm going to read the first four verses, and then we're going to back up a little bit even from there. It says in verse 42, or chapter 42, verse 1, it says, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I know that you're in complete control. And then he actually is quoting God. He says, Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, utter what I, did, I, I uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And then in verse 4, he does the same thing. He's quoting a question God asked him. Here and I will speak. I will question you and make it, and you will make it known to me. Where is this coming from? Turn back a couple of chapters to verse, chapter 38. So what's happened in the story of Job is Job suffered. He's hanging on to God. At, at this point in chapter 30, he's like, you have become cruel to me. And he starts to get it really self-focused. He starts to blame his friends. He starts to blame like God. He, and, and God shows up in chapter 38. So in chapter 38, Job needs to be reminded of the grandeur of God, and God's going to do this for him. It says in chapter 38 and verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. So he's going, this is what Job was quoting in verse 42, I just, or in chapter 42 I just read. So he's going, you're asking me all these why questions, Job? Have you, you, it's because you have forgotten who I am. And then he goes on and he says, um, and, and, and I love how he does a couple of things. One, this, this section is dripping with sarcasm. Like God is just all over Job. I mean, just pounding him. And God starts where Genesis 1 starts and where Paul started in Romans 1. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the whole earth? Tell me if you know. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with the doors that burst open from the womb? When I made the clouds a garment and the thick darkness a swaddling band and prescribed limits for the set and set bars and doors, and I said, Thus far you shall come, but no further. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning? He's like, because I do it every day, Job. The sun rises and sets because I command it. 
Have you ever done that, Job? And he keeps going on and on and on, and, and, and in the interest of time, um, we'll just stop there, and the, you're going to read about your daily readings, but guys, ultimately, here's what God is doing. He's saying, he's saying, and this is what he's doing for us. He's saying, my answer to your why questions, my answer to your pain, my answer to your struggles, my answer to everything that's going on in your life is, look at me. Look at me. Right? He's like, get your eyes on me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Right? That's that song that we used to sing to the girls. It's true. Guys, the only antidote to all the struggles that are going on in this world is literally to keep looking up. In whatever ways that you have to do that, what God is saying is, look at me, Job. Look at me, Doug. Look at me, Adam. Right? Like, because we tend to look around. I've used the example of Jesus and Peter on the water, but think about how Jesus restores Peter at the end of John chapter 21. So Peter has failed. He's denied Christ three times. He's gone back to being a fisherman. And his whole life, he's like, you know what? This was all a waste. I'm a mistake. I, I was right there with Jesus, and I denied that I even knew him and used some colorful language in my denial. I am a giant failure. And the enemy is pounding him and pounding him and pounding him. And Jesus, the resurrected Christ, shows up, and he sees him. He's like, that's Jesus. He, he Typical Peter, strips down to nothing, jumps in the, out of the boat, swims to shore. He goes up to him, and Jesus starts this dialogue with him. Remember, it's the whole, do you love me, feed my sheep? Do you love me, feed my sheep? But do you remember what Peter's doing the whole time? Christ is talking to him. What is Peter doing? He's looking around. He's still doing it. He's Because he, they're walking as they're talking. And he's like, so you love me, feed my sheep. Love, do you love me, feed my sheep? Do you love me, feed my sheep? And then he turns around and he goes, hey, but and he sees John, the apostle John behind him. And he's like, hey, 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 what about John? And I picture Jesus just going up to him going, Peter, like putting his hands in his face, like, or putting his face in his hands and like turning him, like, look at me, Peter, look at me. He says to him, don't worry about John. You follow me. Keep your eyes fixed on me. The writer of Hebrews says, right, because we have this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, lay aside the sin, lay aside the junk of this world, and run with endurance this race to the next world that's set before us. How? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, despising the shame, endured the cross. Guys, that's what the answer to Job. Now, now look at the very end of Job. The very end of, I'm just going to read the um, verses 5 and 6. In fact, the music team can come up, and we're going to go into our time of response. It says, so this is, this is Job's response to God showing him himself. Remember, we kind of last left Job. You have become cruel to me. God shows up and says, let me just show you who I am. Let me show you my glory. And it says, verse 5, I had, I'm in Job 42, verse 5. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Because many of us in this room have heard about Jesus, but have never really seen him. And some of that's unto salvation. Because some of us who are saved, like I genuinely believe I have had that born-again experience, so much of our, ex- our day-to-day experience with Jesus is 
I know I've heard about you. Right? Like I know I know a lot of facts about you. I'm growing in my faith because my not because my knowledge is growing, but your day-to-day actual relational experience, your orthopraxy is not growing because you're afraid to actually respond to him. Right? And what he's telling us here is what Job said, he's saying, he's saying, I, I had heard of you. I was that dude. But now my eyes see you. And therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. Guys, what if? What if we just believed that? What if we just believed that the glory of God was enough? What if we just believed that Jesus was better? What I mean, what if? What if we just lived like Romans eight thirty one was true? If, if God is for you, who can be against you? What if, what if we just believed that? What if we just lived like we believe that? What if we lived, stopped and lived by stop believing the lies of the enemy and this world and our flesh and just started really believing in the promises of God? Because what if, what if we believed, like what if we lived, like we actually believed that, that, that the attributes of God, like his holiness and his justice and his righteousness were, were better than anything else? What if we thought Jesus was more attractive, more faithful, more trustworthy, more beautiful than any other thing on this planet? What if we just lived like that? What if? Because what if, what if you believed that the same God who made you, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who ordained every one of your days, including the bad ones, for you before there was even one of them, what if you just believed that that same God completely, totally, fully is for you? If God is for you, Who can be against you? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for that beautiful truth. I thank you for the truth that you are for us, that the cross shows that, that that as we respond in song and in communion here in a minute, Lord, that that ultimately you're going to show us your forness, the the fact that you are so for us. So I want to pray right now in this moment for those who have never come to that knowledge of you. They, they maybe even never even heard of you. Not really. Not in their hearts. I pray that today would be the day that you would open the spiritual eyes of their hearts to take those hearts of stone out of them and give them a heart of flesh. That your spirit would breathe life into their dry bones. And Lord, I pray for those of us that do know, that have been brought to life, but are afraid to step into that, that real, raw experience with you. Job invites us into that experience. David invites us into that experience. Jesus invites us into that experience. Paul invites us into that experience. So it help us to experience you, not just know about you. For your fame and your glory, Lord. Because what you're doing is conforming us into the image of Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.